0: Westerners have been raised on ideas such as the power of the people and the virtues of democracy, but perhaps we are so sold on the message, we forgot to look at what we are being sold. Athens was a city-state, as were most large concentrations of people. But a single city could not defend itself against larger concentrations of power. The rise of the nation brought many cities and towns and the surrounding rural areas together but the national government was never able to evenly distribute people or power. When democracy became common the vote was given the individual subject. This held even with the rise of representative government. This form of government means that places with more people have more politicians representing them. Representative democracy means a few dozen megacities with the largest concentrations of people are represented by a proportionally greater number of politicians. Toronto, Montreal, New York, Los Angeles, and Mexico City, because of their populations, set policy for North America. Power does not belong to people. Power belongs to the cities. Being born in a large urban area does not give one the inalienable right to dominate territory you have no direct interest in. The larger family does not dictate how smaller families are to live. Why does the city define the values a farmer is to live by? If people have power, it ought to be power over where they live. If we have power, the power we have, ought to be power we have a right to. We have a right to have power over where we live, which is our communities. It is not just the larger cities that ought to be self governing. We are equal as individuals, but two cities ought never to have greater political rights than the rest of the nation. The rural citizen does not have the rights of the city dweller, they do not have the same power. It truly is time to rethink democracy. But rethink it in what way? Either we have democracy and give everyone an equal vote, or we live in a type of tyranny. But democracy is a form of tyranny for those living in rural communities. We have not escaped tyranny by giving everyone a vote. Direct democracy is even subtitled, a tyranny of the majority. If you grow corn, do you think it fair those in the city should decide how it is to be allocated? but the injustice seems lessened if the farmer and the people who live close to him become part of a political jurisdiction and this jurisdiction is given a voice in government. The supposition is that the elected representative will balance the rights of those who farm with the rights of those who live in urban areas. But this remedy is smoke and mirrors. If a majority of voters have no right to decide how to share a farmer's corn, they have no right to choose one of their number to represent them and share the corn on their behalf. However, democracy hides this fact, by making the farmer culpable for his exploitation. Because he voted as implicitly agrees with and becomes a willing party to his exploitation and subjugation. He participated in the election and so is obliged to live with the result the general if begrudging acceptance of democracy is partly due to decisions being made by an election. Theoretically, the vote could have gone the other way and reflected the will of the former. Even if all they get is a single vote, most people prefer to have some say in what is being decided than no say at all. That seems to be the only other choice. But ultimately if there are two groups with contradictory positions, An election does not eliminate tyranny, it just says which group will subjugate the other. This is the dichotomy representative democracy and constitutional republics were meant to resolve, but they tend to perpetuate the same issues, but in an indirect way. It depends on who is elected whether the farmer or the city dweller gets their way. Alienation of power remains a problem for democracies, but, in some ways, The larger problem is the reaction governments have to their inability to solve the basic problem of alienation. Their inability to satisfactorily resolve the issue of alienation is met with more and more legislation. But it is the state that is the problem. A law is however the issue of alienation, in microcosm. Every piece of law will to some degree favor one group or the other, which serves to alienate everyone else this alienation requires more law to readdress the new grievances. But no one asks even rhetorically, why is law needed? There were many social norms that enabled men to live in community for more years than the law has existed. When law was formulated, it was little more than the will of a lord or king expressed as an obligation to those under him, backed up with martial law. But this question harks back to why there are kingdoms and why do tribes fight? The law is only an extension of the risk other people represent and a more sophisticated response to the need for order. Mankind's primary need is to reduce risk and alleviate fear. But having said this means we must ask what risk is, where does it come from and what creates risk for us. Because in the end the fear of others that is seen as risk, is a problem that we have answered using democracy. But as we have seen, Democracy has not eliminated risk. At best, it transforms it. Risk is a threat directed at property. If you own nothing, you would not fear others. The narrative we are given is that the world is composed of scarce resources but infinite demand, so there is competition over these resources. But this misses a key point the resources are not usable for the most part in their natural state. No one is fighting over courts or waterfalls. What we want is the finished product after labor has been added to them. This means what we compete for is labor. We take the competition over property as a given. But if we think people fighting over the works of our hands is natural, there will be continued risk, law, governments, and the injustices that come with implementation of political agendas. If five men find a gold nugget, There will be a fight over who gets is, though there is the possibility the men may decide to sell it and share in the proceeds. But regardless, there is always a sense of risk and threat of loss where valuable property is concerned. Even when the nugget is sold and the proceeds shared, there is always the risk one might be robbed. And so, powerful men told us we need law with them writing and administrating it. The issuance of law means there is a regulator of law, and this is the state. But where did we get the idea that if we see something valuable, we can claim it? What right has anyone to anything in the world? What right has anyone to claim anything created by another being? The minute a human being thinks he has a claim on anything he did not, himself, create, evil has entered the world. Mankind reads Genesis and thinks evil entered the world when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, it entered when Eve saw the fruit and thought it was something to be desired. She had no right to even want it. The Bible says that evil enters when lust enters the mind of man or when anger enters his heart. The Bible is not about physical reality, but about spiritual reality. We have no right to claim what exists in the world. This is a spiritual act, not a physical one. It is not that you have a rock in your possession, but that you think it is yours and you have a right to it. It is the realization you have no right to what you have that gives you the sense of risk. It is knowing your claim is not secure because it is illicit. Fear is that feeling you get when you see a piece of land you want and believe someone else is going to grab it. It is the feeling you get when you hear about a robbery. Perhaps you think the answer is to have more property and more control over it, but the Bible makes it clear, the accumulation of physical wealth does not provide security, in fact it increases the risk we face. However, if we believe we have the right to claim what we want, then we implicitly give this right to others. By thinking we can own property we create risk for others and they for us. This means we see others as a threat. When we own property, we begin to fear others and we no longer are able to live in faith because we no longer trust others. When we start to see others as a source of risk, we no longer feel we can gain security by our own hand. We realize there is a need for a regulatory authority. There is a need for the state to administrate differences of opinion as to who owns what. And so we end up with the state and the state is always a tyranny the state must always reserve to itself the right to exercise violence on its subjects. The problem of the five cities began long before there were any sizable communities. The day a human being saw something of the physical world and decided he wanted this for his own, the stage was set. This sense of personal ownership was less developed in tribal societies than modern western civilization, but it still existed. It has existed since we were tossed out of Eden for desiring what did not belong to us. Cain killed Abel because he felt what he gave to God was underappreciated. To solve the problem of tyranny the problem of illicit claims has to be solved. If we have no right to the world and we respect this position, what need is there for law? If there is no need for law, then why would we need elections to appoint lawmakers? One problem unsolved makes for many others. If we think we can own a rock, then why not an entire continent or world? Where does it end? We own and have a right to only what we create. We cannot lay claim to anything not created by us. Regardless of beliefs, no human made any part of physical reality. No human being has a legitimate right to any part of it. We own the value we add to the world but not the substrate on which we worked. If lived by this principle law and governments are no longer needed. If the state is not needed, no group howsoever large can parley their majority into political influence. The issue of the urban and rural divide is solved by solving the problem of ownership.